Amen. Good evening. Good to have you all here this evening, and good to have those of you that are watching tonight from your homes. Acts chapter 18 tonight. We continue our series in the book of Acts. Looking at the movement of the early church, and obviously we're just looking at a few people. There were so many things going on. But God chose these particular individuals and couples and families to highlight for us so that thousands of years later we could be inspired and strengthened by what they went through. I want to start out tonight before we get into the text by saying this. The measure of a person is what it takes to make them quit. The measure of a person is what it takes to make them quit. The only person that God cannot use is the person that gives up. And for some reason, God impressed me to, I wasn't planning on sharing that at the beginning of this message, but I just feel like maybe that's just for one person here tonight. There's some situation in your life, there's some part of your life, whatever, that you have either given up on or you're getting ready to. And God wants to encourage you tonight. Don't give up. Don't quit. Hang in there. Because that's, that's the story of these people. No matter what they went through and what the challenges and obstacles and opposition they faced, they just kept on picking themselves up and kept on going. Remember, at this point in Paul's missionary journeys, he had been stoned, left for dead. He had been beaten with rods. He'd been imprisoned. And yet he kept going. And so we find here at the beginning of Acts chapter 18, Paul left Athens and departed and came to Corinth. Obviously, those of us who know our Bible are very familiar with the city of Corinth. It's obviously the destination of Paul's letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. It was the center of idolatry. It was the center of immorality. If you study 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and by the way, we believe that there were four total letters of Paul to the Corinthians. We only have two of them in, our, in the Bible. The church at Corinth was maybe the church that was more messed up than any other church. And one of the reasons why was because they had a really hard time as God's people in Corinth keeping the world out of the church. And we could say the same challenges before us today. That no matter what local church you're talking about, the challenge before us is to keep the world and the world's philosophy and the world's way of doing things out of the church. So this is where he comes. And notice he found when he came to Corinth, a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla. Because we learn a little historical context here. By this time in the Roman Empire, Claudius had ordered all the Jews to be expelled. 
Every Jew was now going to live in exile outside of the city of Rome. Attacks on Jews is not something recent, folks. It's something that's always been there. Satan hates the people of God, whether it be the nation of Israel or whether it be the church. I want to mention this, though. And, and if you study what at least the Bible teaches us about the lives of Aquila and Priscilla, they lived in exile, expelled from their home in Rome for many, many years, and yet they didn't pine away and just waste their years away. They made the most of those years. And God used them in a great way. It's what God wants to see in all of us. I mean, in the Old Testament, like when, when God pulled young Daniel and his friends and sent them into exile in Babylon. God used them in a great way. God wants his people to be the kind of people that no matter what circumstances he places them in, that they can thrive because of their connection to him. Not physically where they're at. Not that they have to always be surrounded by the comforts of home and familiarity and all of that. God could pick them up and move them anywhere and they would thrive because of their relationship to him. That, that's the kind of people God's looking for. And so kudos to Aquila and Priscilla for making the most of what you and I would consider a really bad situation. I mean, think about it. What if for some reason you and your family was expelled from Arizona? And this was the last night you were going to stay here and you had to start living in another state and it was totally out of your control. You could not do a thing about it. And you were plopped somewhere else in the country or even outside the country. How would you navigate that? That's Aquila and Priscilla. Notice also, as Paul is going around on these missionary journeys, he is looking for Christian fellowship. That's so important. We should always be desiring Christian fellowship. He approached them when he found them. Christian fellowship should be a priority of God's people. We should be looking for fellow believers and looking to get together with fellow believers and looking to fellowship with fellow believers and partner with fellow believers and minister with fellow believers and worship with fellow believers and pray with fellow believers and on and on and on again. Do we look for Christian fellowship? Or are we satisfied to be out there trying to figure it out and do it on our own? And notice this was even more than just the norm. They found out as they got together and they were talking that they actually worked the same trade. They were all tent makers. And so it says in verse 3 that Paul lived or stayed with them and also worked with them. There are a few people throughout our life that we could live with and work with on a regular basis. Everybody else, 
we wouldn't do a very well. <clears throat> Think about that. I mean, just take working together with somebody. It, it, it takes, again, that finding someone that you're aligned with. You, you share the same goals. You, you, you look at things the same way. You want to achieve the same things. You want to work towards the same things. That's all part of learning to work together. And it's very obvious that Aquila and Priscilla and Paul not only could live together and not kill each other, but they could work together every day as well. Verse 4 tells us again the priority of Paul's life, even as a tent maker. At this point, he was bivocational. He wouldn't always be that way, but at this point, he had to support himself as he traveled around, even though he was being supported by some churches. He addressed, verse 4, both Jews and Greeks in the synagogue, notice, every Sabbath. A consistent witness. Faithful. Not just some Sabbaths. Every Sabbath, Paul showed up. I talked about this Sunday afternoon in our meeting together as God's family. How God prizes faithfulness. How out of all the things that he tells us we should desire to hear when we get to glory, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness is something that God prioritizes. And the great thing about that is, is every last person can be faithful. Faithfulness has nothing to do with our ability, our talent, our gift. Anybody can be faithful. And that's where it starts. God is looking for faithful people. And this man, part of what made him so effective was his consistency. Every Sabbath, you knew where to find Paul. And what was he doing there? Verse 4, attempting to persuade them. Interesting words. It means to have such confidence in what one believes that it inspires confidence in others. God wants us to be like Paul in that respect. To have such confidence in what we believe that it inspires others. And listen, people can tell when they're around other people, if they're confident in what they believe. They just can. Because we can do that with others. Do they really believe it, or are they trying to convince themselves they believe it? With Paul, you knew where Paul stood and what Paul's convictions were and, and, and his confidence. You knew where that was. And it came across in his ministry and in his service to the Lord. Verse 5, now when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul became wholly absorbed with proclaiming the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. Remember before our worship, I said that as we trek through the book of Acts, hopefully we are willing to place our footsteps in the footsteps of these folks because they really were 
following Christ. And like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And there's so much about the way they lived and how they lived and how they ministered that is setting a great example for you and I even today. And we've already talked about some of it. But I love the words holy absorbed. Is there something in our Christian life, in our service, in our ministry that we are wholly absorbed in? No, this word, you could use the word preoccupied even. And what it speaks about is once Paul and or Timothy and Silas showed up, Paul could let some other things go that he was sort of like keeping spinning, if you will, until they got there. Then it was like, okay, you guys take care of that so that I can narrow the focus of my life. Because that was always Paul's desire. I want to delegate and, and I want more people in ministry so that I can be wholly absorbed in what God has called me to. I've always encouraged us. We've got to learn to narrow the focus of our life in ministry. Too many Christians are, as like the old saying goes, jack of all trades but master of none. That is not how God wants us to do life in ministry. That is not the biblical model. The biblical model is find a few things that you know God wants you to do and pour yourself into them and do them excellently. Got to let the other stuff go. Got to say no to so many other things so that you can say yes to those few things that's really going to allow you and me to make a difference and an impact in the kingdom of God. Now notice verse 6. This again reminds us, when we're making progress for the Lord, when we're advancing in our own walk with God and being used by God to advance his kingdom in other people's lives, we will face opposition and resistance from the enemy, whether it be flesh and blood or the spiritual kind that's behind it all. And that's always the case in the book of Acts. That's something that you and I should expect. If the enemy deems us a threat, oh, you can better believe it, there will be a target on our backs. If we're not a threat, he'll leave you alone. But if you're messing up his plans and purposes you can better believe he's going to come against you. And that's what he did with these people all the time. When they opposed, resisted, pushed back against Paul and reviled and slandered him, notice how he reacted. This is important. Notice how Paul responded to rejection. He protested, shaking out his clothes and saying to them, then your blood be on your own heads. I'm guiltless. I'm not going to take responsibility for your non-response. Again, because God doesn't hold us responsible for other people's response. All he holds us responsible for is to carry out what he's asked us to do. It's not up to us how people respond to it. 
And in a sense, by Paul shaking out his clothes, what he was visibly illustrating was, I'm shaking this off. And I want to encourage you, some of you, you need to shake it off. Maybe you've been rejected recently. Maybe you've run up against opposition and resistance and whatever, and it's bothered you. It it sort of caused you to just sort of sit and spin and not continue to move forward. God wants us to be encouraged by the example of Paul. Don't let other people's lack of response, lack of enthusiasm, resistance, rejection, however you want to couch it, however you want to look at it, don't let that affect what God wants you to do. You go full bore into what God wants you to do and shake it off and keep on going. Again, the measure of a person is what it takes to make them quit. And the only person that God cannot use is the person who gives up. You and I are going to face resistance and rejection. We might try to share the gospel with 50 people and 49 of them say no, but what about the one that does? You may invite 50 people to come with you to church. 49 say no, but one might say yes. You and I have to be willing to face way more rejection and resistance than we are going to be positive responses. And if we're in it always for the positive responses, we're not going to be in ministry very long. From now on, Paul says, verse 6, I will go to the Gentiles. It doesn't mean, as we're going to see even a little bit later in the chapter, that he's done with the Jews. It just means he's going to be taking more opportunity now with Gentiles than with Jews. Because he's starting to see, I'm not going to sit here and beat my head, as we say, against a wall. If they don't want what I have to offer, then I'm not going to continue to try to force it down their throat because God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to look for those who are open, those who are ready and willing, those who are humble, those who are teachable, those who are willing to listen, and not to waste our precious time on earth trying to convince those who refuse to be convinced. Move on. Shake it off and move on. And it's not that you have to give up on them. Maybe you're not the one to reach them. Maybe later on you've planted some seeds and they're still not ready to be totally open and God will bring somebody else in. Remember, some water, some plant, but it's God that gives the increase. You may just be part of the process. So don't give up on yourself and don't give up on them, but move on. Precious time on this earth. So Paul left the synagogue, went to this house, a Gentile who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the president of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his whole household. That's pretty cool. The president of the synagogue was a believer. You see, again, during this time, this was a transition time. And eventually God was going to call Jews to completely leave the synagogue, but God didn't expect them to just sort of 
one day be at the synagogue, have their whole life wrapped up in the synagogue and the people of the synagogue, and then the next day just leave it. No. God was going to give them time to adjust. Just as he did the temple. God allowed the temple to exist in Jerusalem up until 70 A.D., like 30, 35 years after Jesus rose from the dead. So God gave them like a generation to figure it out. But then God said, by that time, you should have figured it out. I'm going to do an end of the temple. No more sacrifices. Because the one sacrifice, it's been given. You don't need to do these other sacrifices anymore. I love this. You know, God knows when we need a word of encouragement and reassurance. God knows better than anybody. And, and God is always aware of what's going on in our hearts and minds, even if we never share it with another human being. God knows. And God is always right there at the right time to say the right things that we need to hear. And he's doing it with the Apostle Paul, beginning in verse 9. Remember, God did this to Hagar. God did this to the prophet Elijah when he was down. And, and Paul's been through a lot. And even though Paul shook it off, I think God sort of saw, you know, Paul's a little down right now. I, I need to reassure and affirm him. If, if God knows you need that tonight, guess what? God is speaking to you too. Because no one reassures better than God does. And notice the Lord, verse 9, comes to Paul and says to Paul by a vision in the night, first of all, don't be afraid. Again, this is something we hear over and over again in the Bible. Fear not. And let's not forget who the Lord is talking to here. This guy that we put up on a pedestal, the great apostle Paul, maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived, and God has to tell him not to be afraid? Yeah, because he's human like we are. If God had to tell the apostle Paul, Paul, come on now, don't be afraid, then guess what? God's going to have to say that to us every once in a while too. Because we all have the same need as a human being and all the, the same stuff. Maybe that's what God is saying to you tonight. Look, I know you've already been through a lot, but don't be afraid. Keep on doing what I've asked you to do. Don't let fear paralyze you. Don't let fear cause you to lay down and quit and give up. Hang in there, Paul, and keep going. I told you, I warned you, you were going to have to suffer a lot. But don't be afraid. Then notice what he said. Speak and do not be silent. Because again, fear can cause us to shut down. And Paul, if anybody knows, every time I open up my mouth and tell people about Jesus, man, things bad, bad things happen. I get beat up. I get stoned. I get beaten with rods. I get thrown in prison. And God is saying, I need you to be sort of like we were talking about David on Sunday. When David says, I am determined I'm going to praise you. 
God is saying to Paul here, I, I need you to be resolute and resolved that you're going to keep doing the ministry I've called you to. You're going to keep sharing the gospel no matter what the cost, no matter what the sacrifice. Don't be afraid. And the final thing he says to me is even the key of it all. Then God reassures him with his own personal presence. He says, because I am with you. The great I am is with you, Paul. And God is saying that to us tonight. I am the great I am, and I am with you. I see what you're going through. Don't be afraid. Keep doing the ministry that I've called you to. Keep speaking on my behalf. Keep sharing my word. Keep trying to encourage others with Scripture. Keep trying to share the gospel. Do not be silent. Do not let your spiritual enemy and the world shut you down and shut your mouth. You keep speaking out and speaking up and standing out and standing up. I am with you. And then I love this. God goes on to reassure Paul in verse 10 saying, no one is going to touch you, Paul, in this town because I have many people in this city. God knows who his people are and where they are at all times. And God is saying, I'm going to use my people here in this city. Could God have supernaturally protected Paul? Absolutely. Without anybody? Absolutely. But again, God always wants to use us. And God is saying, I've got my people right here. And I will make sure that they get together with you and, and you get together with them and they will be your protection. They will shield you. They will be your refuge. Their homes will be a shelter for you. Yes, I'm your ultimate shelter and refuge as, as we've seen through our study of David and his life. But God is going to use people to be his hands and his feet. To the Apostle Paul. So verse 11 says, he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God. Again, narrowing the focus of his life. What was Paul known for? This is what Paul was known for, teaching the word of God. I don't want to say too much about verse 12 through verse 17. That basically what this passage is about is that there was a Roman government official that was trying to be sucked in by the Jews to give Paul and his cohorts a hard time. And when he found out that this was more of an argument about religion and all of that, he said, look, I, I don't want anything to do with this. He threw the ball back in the Jews' court. And what did the Jews do? Well, I will say this. Notice verse 17. They seized this man, Sothenes, the president of the synagogue, and began to beat him in front of the judgment seat. Nice people, right? I do love his name. Sothenes' name means saving or sustaining strength. I love that. And boy, did he need sustaining strength because he was beaten in front of the judgment seat. So let's move on. Verse 18. Paul, after staying many more days in Corinth, said farewell to the brothers and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by now Priscilla and Aquila. This couple now had become very close friends of Paul and were now accompanying him on his missionary journey. 
And you'll also notice something interesting here. That now the woman's name is mentioned first in the couple. Before, up to this point, it was Aquila and Priscilla. Now, from now through the rest of the book of Acts, for the most part, it will be Priscilla first and then Aquila. Why is that the case? I'm not going to take a lot of time with this, but let me say this. It is very clear if you study this couple and you see what the Bible says about this couple, that the woman, Priscilla, was the spiritual leader of that couple, of that family. Now, I know some of you are already saying, well, now, wait a minute. That's not the way it's supposed to be, right? That's not the ultimate, the way God designs it and desires it. But God deals with reality. And there are many women in homes all across this world who are more advanced spiritually, more interested in spiritual things than the man is. That's just the reality. And it can work. Again, it's not the way God necessarily designed it, but it can work. In fact, I've even told some gals here at the Oasis, you don't want that to ever change. And here's why you don't want that to ever change. Because the only way your husband will pass you spiritually is if you start going backwards. You don't want to ever do that. You want to keep on moving forward spiritually. And if you keep moving forward spiritually and you're already ahead of your husband, then that means you're always going to be ahead of your husband. God can still work with that, okay? If the husband and wife are willing to do it, again, the way God designed it to be done. But it is clear that Priscilla was the spiritual, the more spiritual one of the two. All right, let's move on. Notice verse 19. When they reached Ephesus, Paul left Priscilla and Aquila behind there, but he himself went into the synagogue and addressed the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer, he would not consent. This is so important. You know, a lot of times as ministry people and even leadership, we've got to say no to what other people want us to do. Because it all comes down to these three words towards the end of verse 21. Paul says, I will do it if that's what God wills. But I'm following the Lord. And yes, God can use people to speak into our lives. But like in my case, what I've tried to do over the years is take what people share with me, but then take it to the Lord, pray over it, ask, Lord, is this from you? Is this what you want for me? Or is this just what their desire is? Because, Lord, I don't want to do something that they've asked me to do if it's not your will. And so notice here, Paul is always being guided by God's will, not the desires of the people around him. And a lot of times that means we've got to say no. Way more, maybe, even than we have to say yes. Because, again, if we're going to narrow the focus of our life and we're going to be devoted to doing a few things excellently, that means we've got to say no to a lot of other things. After he spent some time there, verse 23, Paul left and went through the region of Galatia. And notice what he was doing. Strengthening all the disciples. Making the disciples who are already disciples even more firm and solid and stable. 
God wants to strengthen us so that in turn we can strengthen others because you and I can't strengthen others if we're not growing stronger ourselves. So God is always saying to all of us, no matter where we are in our walk with God, we should have a desire to always keep growing and becoming stronger because it's not just, again, about us. It's about God using our strong Christian walk to then strengthen other people in their walk with God. God can't use weak Christians to strengthen other Christians. God uses strong Christians and Christians who are growing to strengthen other Christians. And speaking of that, the last part of this passage is really all about that. It's about this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, taking this young man under their wing and discipling him. But notice some of the dynamics here that are really important. First of all, there's a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria who arrived in Ephesus. He was an Egyptian from Alexandria. This young man, he was a standout servant of the Lord. Notice how the Bible describes this young man. First of all, it says he was an eloquent speaker. He was a gifted speaker who could hold people's attention. That's not always the case with all public speakers. Second, he was well-versed in the scriptures. Literally, in the original language, he was mighty in the scriptures. Strong, powerful, excelling. Oh, that that would be said of all of us. That we are men and women of the book. That we know the Bible. We don't know it all, but we have a growing handle on the word of God. That we're meditating on it. That we're memorizing it that we're understanding it more and more, that we're growing in our understanding and knowledge of it, to be mighty in the scriptures, because this was going to be his tool. He had to be proficient in using the tool that God gave him, the sword of the spirit. Notice also, though, about this young man, it says in verse 25, with great enthusiasm, he spoke. He was fervent. He was passionate. He was like boiling over. How can you expect someone to get excited about something if you're not excited and enthusiastic about it either? And Paul even said to the Colossians in Colossians 3.23, whatever we do, do it with great enthusiasm as unto the Lord and not for people. We should be enthusiastic about what we do, passionate about what we do. And that's one of the characteristics of this young man. And then notice, though, it does no good to be passionate and enthusiastic if you're also not going to be accurate. And so notice, he taught accurately, with exactness, with precision, the facts about Jesus. You need both. You're going to have people that are very precise in teaching the Word of God and yet have no passion, can't keep people's attention, have no enthusiasm for it. You've got other people that are very, you know, animated and all of that, and yet they're not teaching the Word of God correctly. They're not teaching it accurately. They're not, as Paul says in other places, cutting it straight. Notice another characteristic of this young man. 
He began, verse 26, to speak out fearlessly. Again, like Paul, he was confident and courageous. And that kind of confidence in what he believed inspired confidence in others. But don't miss verse 26. You would think this young man, man, he's arrived. He's made it. Nope. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they were impressed. They said, this young man has a lot of potential. But there's more that he needs to know and in and, 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 and more ways he needs to grow. And so they led him, took, taking him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately, even more, because he hadn't arrived yet. And here's the great thing about both of these individuals, if you will, the couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and the young man, Apollos. First of all, you've got this couple who care about discipling somebody, and they're looking for somebody to disciple, and they, 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 this young man captures their attention, and obviously he's already on his way. He's a spiritual force of nature, but they understand, man, there's more that we could share with him to even take him to another level. And so they're willing to come alongside. You and I need to have that kind of heart for others as well. We need to identify the people in our orbit that, that look like, you know, they're tracking with God and, and they've got a lot going for them, but they could use our wisdom and our experience and us being a little bit further down the road and we're going to come up alongside of them and we're going to put our arm around them and we're going to be willing to disciple them and train them in the Lord a little bit more. But then you've got Apollos, this man that you would think he's arrived, right? And yet notice. He is humble enough and teachable enough to go, yeah, I do need to know more. I, I, there's still more out there that I need to grow in, more areas I need to grow in. And so he willingly submitted. There'd be a lot of people going, no, I've, look at how God's using me. Look at how I've got the audience in my hands. Look, look at what God is doing in my life. I, I don't need to be discipled. We all need to be discipled. We all need to keep going after more because none of us have arrived. And so you see both sides of it here. And so when Apollos, verse 27, wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples and welcomed him. And when he arrived, he assisted greatly those who had believed. Oh, that that would be said of us. He was a big help to those believers, contributing he wasn't a spectator. He was contributing. The word literally means he threw in what he had alongside of everybody else. I love that picture. In fact, I want to end with that picture because that's what I want for us as the Oasis. That's what God wants. He, he wants to bring different people in, and whatever we have to offer, he wants us to throw it in with everybody else's stuff so that then we've got everybody contributing. God wants every person in a local church to be a contributor. What are we contributing to the body? What are we throwing in? What are we adding? That's how we help our fellow brothers and sisters. Not by sitting on a chair and, and being a spectator, but by getting up and participating and contributing. And that's what Apollos did.
That's one of the goals of discipleship. It's not just about, again, learning more and understanding more. It's taking what we have and then adding it to what everybody else has so that we become stronger and better and we continue to grow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for all of these folks, God, that you put a spotlight on for particular reasons. You were using their life and ministry and how they navigated life and went on missionary journeys, God, to speak to our lives today, to be a great example, a great illustration, a great challenge for us. And yet, God, in the midst of it all, I love, I love how in the midst of this chapter you came to the Apostle Paul, someone that maybe many of us would think, oh, he never needed encouragement. We all need encouragement. Paul never needed to be reassured. Yeah, we all need reassurance. And here you are, God, the God who is so caring, so sensitive, so aware of where we are spiritually, emotionally, and physically that you came alongside Paul and said, Paul, I know what you've been through. I know what you're going through, and I know what you're getting ready to go through. Don't be afraid. Keep speaking and do not be silent. I am with you. And I believe that God is saying those same words to his people tonight. He's coming alongside of us as our comforter, as our helper. And he's saying to all of us, I'm with you. Don't give up. Don't quit. God, thank you for the time we've had together in your house tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. God bless.